welcome to the Beervana podcast. Hi, Jeff. Hey, Patrick. Here we are again, Southeast Portland. Winter is setting in. Yeah, we're we're uh, near the solstice. Thank goodness. Kind of the dead of winter here. Thank goodness, because I had to go to the dentist this morning at 7 a.m., and it was just pitch black. Just, yeah. It was bizarre. You know, in a couple of weeks, we'll be going into the light, though it will also be very dark. But things yes. will be getting, you know, marginally longer. Uh, I feel it, though. I'm, I mean, I, I feel my spirits change after the solstice. Do you? There's a... I like the dark, so I like this time of year especially. Yeah. I like the dark in moderation. <laughs> and because I had to get up early and drive down to Corvallis on my commute, I I in, I feel the mornings as they get lighter and lighter. So yeah, that would suck. That makes me feel better. As a as a self employed writer, uh, my commute is easier. So the holidays are closing in, yeah. And as we get closer uh, to those that celebrate the Christmas season, we have a special follow up podcast. It took us a little longer than we thought. Uh, I take full responsibility for the delay. Um in uh, following up on our last podcast. But before I do the rest of the introduction, I just want to point that out that this is now sort of a part two of the last one. So we're back. That's right. Uh, And we're going to talk about uh, Mount Angel. But I'll get back to that in a second. First, let me introduce you. You, of course, are Jeff Allworth. (laughs) Let's try that again. You, of course... (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should just skip this all together. This is the dentist's fault. Uh, (laughs) You, of course, are Jeff Allworth, author of Secrets of Master Brewers, the Beer Bible, and now available still for pre-order, The Widmer Way. Oh, yeah. I forgot this. I got a galley. Oh, it's still, uh, that's too bad. I was, gonna, I was hoping it'd be out on the shelves for Christmas. Oh, no. And no. for Hanukkah and no, for we, we go Kwanzaa to a, and we, for Festivus. No, but it's for none of that. It's actually coming out at, uh, right around the equinox. So. Oh, yes. That great gift-giving holiday. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Well, you can pre-order it now, and you can print out the order and give it to your uh, uh, loved one, relative. And I can imagine nothing would delight a person more than opening up a receipt for a future book. knowing that the Widmer Way is on its way. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Uh, You are Patrick Emerson, a professor of economics at Oregon State University. Yes, and the beauty of that is that term's over, so. Oh, good times. Yeah, I'm on vacation. How long before the next one rolls around? Uh, too short, too short. We're on quarters, so we start right after New Year's, uh, the first full week of January. Everybody who has a real job thinks, I know. screw you, buddy. I know. <laughs> two, two weeks is uh, I pretty to, good. I try to keep it to myself and have podcast the whole thing. <laughs> it's not a bad gig if you can get it, I gotta, I gotta say. Yeah. Uh, wait a minute, are you done? Did, is that me? That's you. That's me done? Okay. <laughs> so now let's talk about Mount Angel. Uh, so we're, uh, we're, well, you wrote, we're podcasting from Mountain Angel, Oregon today. That was the plan. If we were really good, we would have actually finished the podcast while we were there. It uh, didn't happen. So, now we're back in Southeast Portland finishing up the podcast. But what we did is we visited Mount Angel, Oregon, a small community in the Willamette Valley, about 45 minutes south of Portland. Uh, beautiful community. It's known for its German and Swiss heritage and yeah. architecture and businesses and festivals and Go yes, ahead. go ahead. <laughs> an, an annual Oktoberfest, yes. the biggest in Oregon, which is um, a community event, uh, not exactly like the one in Munich, but um, you know, a bigger deal than the ones that breweries have for one day in their parking lot, kind of thing. Yeah, That's and the and the town is, you know, there's uh, a fair amount of what Tyrolean architecture there, and okay. Uh, I'm not sure about that. There's a lot of faux half-timbered buildings that look kind of Bavarian. Well, yeah, <laughs> and there's a Glockenspiel. That's right. 
Yeah. The big building. The big building with the, the clock that for the people that come out and dance around or whatever. Right. Uh, anyway, um, uh, why we were there, of course, was because we were visiting the Mount Angel Abbey, uh, which earlier this year joined a small fraternity of brewing monasteries. Uh, we uh, visited with Father Martin, the the oh God, the <laughs> the procurator of the Abbey, and one of the people who guided this project along over the past five years, and now he is the head brewer. What does he call himself? The head brewer. Yeah, he said something. He You'll said. find out because he's going to say he's it. The main, he's the main brewer. <laughs> main brewer. He's basically the brewer uh, uh, at the Abbey. Um, he's going to tell us about how the project got started, how the monastery sees the brewery fitting into its mission, and of course, all about the beer uh, and the brewers um, because there is one other. Um, and hopefully, more coming. Yes, he, he wants to train monks to be brewers, which is pretty darn cool. Yes, monks that show the interest and aptitude. As you'll see. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty fascinating. Uh, and uh, we'll get to that soon. But before that, of course, as always, we tell you about the news. So this first bit of news uh, is out just today, and it's not good news. Um, Deschutes Brewery here in, in Oregon, in, in Bend, uh, is laying off 10% of their workforce. And this is the only news we have. We don't have any idea of, of who that will affect or how they're going to implement that. Uh, but the Bend Bulletin has a story out today saying that they're going to cut 10, 10% of their workforce due to declining sales. Um, and we've been hearing that's not the first brewery to make those, that kind of announcement. Particularly the struggles of the major regional breweries, huh? Yeah. Yeah, they're getting it. It's difficult to compete nationally, and it's difficult to compete locally. So they're getting it from both ends. Yeah, it's really affected Deschutes. Um, some breweries have handled it better than others. Deschutes has really been suffering the last uh, eighteen months or so. Yeah. Well, uh, my thoughts go out to those who are affected, um, and hopefully, better days are on the horizon. Totally. Uh, the uh, the second news item we have is that the holidays have put a dent into the news feed in general. Um, whoops. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we, 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 we plugged another one in there. Yeah. Now, now the script is all screwed up. It's only going to be oh, one item. Oh, boy. You know, it, it might not hurt for me to read ahead. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we wanted to follow up on an item um, from our last podcast. As you may recall, Sierra Nevada set up a program to brew Resilience IPA. Uh, breweries would all make the same beer, sending proceeds to the victims of the campfire in Northern California. Uh, and as of this week, a reported 1,200 breweries have signed up to participate. One in six breweries in the country have signed up. So that's fantastic. That is fantastic. An amazing uh, outpouring of uh, support for the for Sierra Nevada. So yeah, that's... a little bit of a silver lining in that very dark cloud. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let's move on to the main topic. Um before we uh, get into our interview with Father Martin of the Fount, uh, Mount Angel uh, Brewery or the Benedictine Brewery, yep. uh, would you like to give us a little um, uh, background and set it up? Well, I don't. I just did that smacking thing that we're going to hear about later. Uh, <laughs> um, I, I think we set it up pretty well there. I think we can just go right straight to the tape. What do you think? Do you have anything to add? 
Uh, no, I just look into the script and you say background on the project. So. Oh, boy. This has been a debacle from the start. Uh, it's a good thing we have uh, a good interview to show because yeah. we, better this, get, we better get out of the way, <laughs> get out right. of our own way. <laughs> this, this is actually an excellent interview. And uh, though I guess the one thing I will say is that um, the, the distinctive quality of uh, the Benedict, Benedictine Brewery is that the monks are, uh, have developed the, the brewery, the, the beer, and will carry it forward, which is quite rare among monastic breweries. So that's a cool thing. So listen uh, now to hear all about that and how Father Martin has uh, implemented this over the last five or six years. All right, here we go. We are here in uh, Mount Angel Abbey, uh, Mount Angel, Oregon, at the Mount Angel Abbey um, with Patrick. Hi, Jeff. And uh, Father Martin. Welcome, Jeff and Patrick. Thank you for having us. It's delightful to be here. Um, Mount Angel Abbey is a, a, a monastery here about an hour south of Portland. Uh, and something like five or six years ago, you at the monastery decided to uh, think about starting a brewery, which is a really interesting project. And that opened um, this August. And we would love to hear how a monastery uh, even begins thinking about something like starting a brewery. Uh, seems like a little bit of a left turn. So how, how did you get started thinking about all that? How did this project come together? That's a really good question, Jeff. Um, you're a beer writer. You've been in the beer world a long time, so you're aware of the history of monks and brewing. A little bit, yeah. A little bit. Okay, well. Probably not it, as much as you. <laughs> okay, I've read about it. Uh, but, yeah, there's a, a long tradition of monks brewing beer in Western civilization. It goes back to the fall of the Roman Empire. So in the, the Dark Ages and the Middle Ages, uh, when social structures were almost non-existent, monasteries were relied on to be places of agriculture and arts and science and education and lodging for travelers. So monks had to have some food and some beverage to serve people. And because there weren't sanitation plants in those days, you couldn't always drink the water. So beer and wine were the things to drink. And not every place could have vineyards, so beer became very popular. So in its peak in the Middle Ages, there were 600 monasteries in Europe brewing beer. Mm. And their output was like was on a pretty large scale, um, thousand barrels a year or so. Uh, so that's that's a major undertaking. Yeah, yeah. That's uh, for the time. Knowing something about the history, I remember uh, reading about the Hanseatic League cities, um, maybe around 1200, uh, that were considered giant industrial breweries, and they made something like a thousand or 1500 barrels. Uh -huh. So yeah, that's a lot of beer. Yep. And when, at the time of the Renaissance then, talking about, about about 1500 or so, when urbanization revitalized, that's when you could have commercial breweries starting up. But for hundreds of years, monasteries were the major uh, brewers of the day. And Mount Angel Abbey was in that game early. So we were founded by Swiss monks. Okay. So you know, Swiss and German, um, they speak the same language and they, like, they both like beer. And I found an entry in our founding prior's diary. We were founded in 1882. There were about 10 monks here at that time. 
and in 1885, in a November entry in his diary, the founding prior reviewed what the facilities of the monastery consisted of. Mm -hmm. So he mentions the monastery, the church, the college, the seminary, chicken houses and pig pens. <laughs> and the last thing he mentioned was a brewery. So it's no surprise, really, that given the heritage that the monks would be brewing, that was probably just for internal consumption, not commercial. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, there's a fire in 1892 that wiped out most of the, the monastery, so probably that brewery burned down with it. Mm -hmm. But um, I don't have any, any further records of its reconstruction or what happened after that, but we know Prohibition would come along about 30 years later, and that shut down pretty much everything unless the, the monks were bootlegging, and <laughs> we don't know about that. So. There might actually have been, I think you might have been able to legally brew during Prohibition. I think there was a monastic exception. There certainly was for wine. I don't know about beer, but oh, that oh, would have been interesting. I'll have to look that up, because <laughs> that would be a good tidbit to have in our pocket. Yeah, that's right. Uh, <laughs> could make up new lies again. about that. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we, uh, the monks of, of the Abbey have been interested in brewing, for a long time. We're all aware of that tradition, and we wanted to be part of it. And we, we were in a partnership some years ago uh, to try brew beer that never got off the ground. Um, it just kind of died in, in frustration and lack of vision, I think. Uh, that was before my time. But uh, this came back up again uh, about oh, eight years ago when I started brewing beer. Mm -hmm. uh, I just somebody offered me some brewing equipment and I wasn't even thinking about brewing uh, but I rejected that offer and it it bothered me though that stuck on my mind so a month later I went back and and asked the person if they still had that equipment and she brought it in and I read a book and made a batch of beer with a lot of mistakes and the monk still <laughs> liked it and just kept doing it from then on and my job for the last 10 years in the monastery has been the procurator. So I'm the monk who oversees finances, facilities, and the business side of things. And I was looking at revenues and expenses one day thinking, you know, expenses grow without effort. Revenues <laughs> take effort. And yeah. wouldn't it be good if we had a, if we tried to develop a new revenue source to help support ourselves? because you know, schools, libraries, and retreat houses don't make money. Mm -hmm. We have to do fundraising to support these, these operations. So we considered it as a community with a number of ideas, and I was hesitant to even suggest brewing because I was aware of that old endeavor that we had and thought, well, it didn't work, didn't work then, we probably aren't interested in it now but it was the one thing that the monks ended up expressing interest in. Nice. So we took a serious, started taking a serious look at it at that point. So uh, I'm interested that it was actually considered from the start something about, you know, there was this revenue component. Um, was that, did that lead, was that guiding the whole process? Uh, like as you were thinking this through, we were thinking like it's gotta pay for itself? Yes, yeah, that was the original <laughs> idea to be a revenue-producing enterprise, as monks are supposed to be self-sufficient. Mm -hmm. That's the vision of St. Benedict comes through in his rule, where a community of people get together to live a spiritual life. But that doesn't mean we're supposed to 
to be out begging to you know, make ends meet or something. Right. We should be living by the work of our own hands. So traditionally, monks farm, monks uh, monks brew beer. Uh, they do various things. Uh, monks did get into running schools uh, back in the Middle Ages when when there weren't any any wasn't anybody else to run a school. Sure. Uh, with that, you know, schools don't make money. Schools need support. So we are dependent on our development operation. We have big fundraising um, events during the year that help pay for the school and all. Uh, but really, monks should be living by the work of their own hands. So we don't, we used to have a press. Benedictine Press was founded in the 1880s, and it, uh, it terminated in the early 2000s. So for over 100 years, we had that, and that was a means of income. And monks worked in that press. We used to run the farm with tax changes in the 70s that had to be leased out, so we don't do that actively anymore. So things that we used to do to help support ourselves, um, we can't do anymore. So this is kind of a, a throwback to that, uh, make that happen. But it didn't, the helping to raise, um, helping to support ourselves is not the only goal of the brewery. Um, once we took, started getting serious about developing the business of it, one of the first things we did was branding. Mm -hmm. And our branding agent sat down with us for a couple of days, ran us through some exercises that really, um, the, the question there was, who do you want to be in this world of beer? What differentiates you from everybody else in that world? So he helps us dig into our values and think of how we want to present ourselves. And it was a, it was a good time to just look at yourself and, and see you know, who we are and how we want to be perceived. And at that point, uh, it started to bring in another goal for this brewery, and that is to introduce people, the world at large, to Mount Angel Abbey, to Benedictine life, and maybe even Christian life, mm -hmm. uh, more generally. Yeah, people like breweries. So yes. uh, I remember you invited me to be look over your shoulder as you were doing this um, in the start uh, of the project. And I remember um, some of the monks expressing a real interest in uh, creating some kind of magnet here to bring people out and, and integrate you know, the community with the, the monastery. Um, not every monastery wants people, you know, coming coming and checking things out, but um, that's long been a Benedictine kind of edict that, that you do welcome people and you do bring people to the mon monastery. Uh, so I was really interested in that whole kind of connection. It's certainly very different than other, uh, other breweries have an approach. You know, they don't necessarily uh, think about a kind of ecclesiastical angle or a, a way to <laughs> um, achieve a higher mission uh, through their beer. So right. that was an interesting interesting thing. Did all the monks, were all the monks on board with that? I mean, beer is a little bit racy. It's, you know, it's alcoholic. It, uh, mm -hmm. it causes high spirits. Um, so was, was, it, uh, was it immediately accepted and were, or were there, there any dissent? Uh, there were a few dissenters. I remember our first presentation on it, asking if, you know, if this is something we'd be interested in pursuing, 
it wasn't a chapter meeting. That's where all the solemnly professed monks, those who have committed their life to the community, that's where they get together and make real business decisions that are binding. Uh, but it was a community meeting, meaning that the junior monks, the novices, we were, we were all there. But the vote was something like 24 to 4 in favor of looking into it and mm -hmm. pursuing it. And you know that ratio probably stood up every time we had to come to a chapter decision. So just a, a very few of the monks um, don't, don't approve of the enterprise for whatever reason. And those, I don't think, really get articulated. Uh, could just be that it's a deviation from really our core uh, mission. Um, but uh, it could be for some the question of alcohol and the negative impacts that can have on people. Uh, but most of us, you know, the, the clear more than majority, the super majority, were in favor of of moving forward. Well, let's use that as an opportunity to talk about the beer. Uh, you're a home brewer eight years ago, making some beer, thinking about this. Um, well, when it came down, when you started to think seriously about how, opening a brewery here, um, what did what did recipe design and development go look like? I mean, um, there are German monastic breweries, they make lagers. There's, of course, more famous Belgian monastic brewers, they make Belgian beer. Um, what, what was your thinking? And you're kind of the, you were the brewer behind all this, so I think you might have had, had the, the most uh, deep thinking about that. What, what was your mm. approach to what kind of beer you're going to make here? Those, in those early community meetings discussing the possibilities, uh, what style or styles of beer should we make did come up. And I remember uh, Father Philip, he's the pastor at St. Mary's Mount Angel here, um, he was an advocate of, um, of German lagers, mm -hmm. uh, Bavarian-style lagers. And Mount Angel is a town of Bavarian heritage, so that would make sense. And the big Oktoberfest here would like that, you know, so that was a possibility. Yeah. Uh, on the other hand, we are monks, and, and yeah, the oldest breweries in the world today are of Benedictine origin, but the best known uh, monastic breweries are the Trappist with their Belgian styles. So people, when they think of monks brewing, uh, think of Trappist and Belgian styles. So for the authenticity side, uh, we thought, you know, the way to go would be the Belgian styles. But then a third theme of those conversations was, we're in Oregon. <laughs> uh, this is just a, a brewing region all its own. We grow hops here. You know, the monks started growing hops in the 1880s. Uh, as we sit here in this brewery, I'm looking across um, the street, out the window, at the hop at field the hop fields, that yeah. has been there for the last 136 years. And those are our hops. And those are, yeah, those so are your hops. hops. Yeah. So um, hops have been growing there for 136 years? Uh, well, th since I can't say in specifically that field, right. but uh, yeah, the monks have been growing hops since the 1880s. Oh. Uh, the, the founding monks bought farmland around the hilltop, and hops have been one of the crops consistently planted here. As a commercial crop? Yes. Oh. Uh, but um, So uh, yeah, the Pacific North Northwest theme with hoppy beers and all was a third alternative for us. But we elected to go with the, the Belgian style. 
since then, you know, that was six years ago. Since then, we have um, developed a, a Munich-style Hellas. So we have gotten in that Bavarian lager theme. And our, our Belgian styles started off uh, with more hops than a traditional Belgian beer might have. Uh, our first beers, Black Habit and Haustas, uh, a dark and a pale, were not, de were not brewed, developed to any particular style. Uh, so we have to kind of shoehorn them into some kind of style because people ask about that, but they don't really fit any. Uh, but since then, we've um, developed a triple, which is a traditional style, and I still have to get that double going. Uh -huh. But um, I'm busy trying to manage this business now. And <laughs> I can't develop recipes like I used to. Uh, but um, So are you the one who's developed the recipes for the brewery? Uh, some of them, yeah. Our original recipe development, we, we look at uh, what some of these monasteries do. They've got a pale and they've got a dark. So that was our first thought, and we approached OSU with their fermentation program uh, about recipe development, and we contracted with them to develop a pale and a dark, and we liked the progress on the dark. That was a, a very fun exercise. Mm -hmm. you know, remember, uh, they, they made a batch, and they divided it into five, and each of the fifths was fermented with a different yeast so they brought all that to the abbey and the monks got together for some education some tasting and uh, and picked the one that they liked best and we really liked the the dark beer the pale was not as scintillating right. and uh, so the the dark eventually became black habit with a couple more you know, a little more revision to that recipe and we just kind of pulled the plug on the pale at that point uh, but Black Habit was our first beer. It's been our best known and most popular. Uh, and, um, and after a, that... It's a dark, um, strong, 7.2%. 7, 7 I'm looking at the, the chalkboard now. Yeah. Um, kind of kind of in the in the, the Belgian. It's got a, pop, uh, a yeast forward flavor profile. I don't know. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. So is that a char accurate characterization when you say of the beer? Yeah, I, I think so. It's... Actually, you notice the malt components, the yeast components, and the hop components in it. So in a way, you could call it balanced. But uh, I like the I like the toastiness of it, and also the caramel I find in the finish, mm -hmm. and you know that comes from the malt. Um, and it's not hop forward, but you notice the hops in it. it it's enough to balance that yeast and and the malts, but. Um, the yeast is kind of the signature. It's the consistency between all of those beers that we make. So you do notice that, too. Do you yeah. have one house yeast to use? Yes. It's uh, Trappist High Gravity yeast. Well, for, for the Belgian style, of course, we use something else for the lager. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, and you worked a little bit with uh, some commercial breweries, too. You've had mm -hmm. some partnerships there, too. You want to talk about yeah. those a little bit? Well, when we needed to start making commercial batches, we uh, approached uh, First Coalition Brewery in Portland and oh. made a batch there. I didn't realize. I didn't remember. And that. yeah, that uh, that worked really well. Um, the one hitch there was that you know, they didn't have a bottling system. It was a, a mobile bottler, and we had to use 22 ounce bottles, and that's not our branding. Mm -hmm. So uh, we. Uh, we did one batch there, and then uh, we'd been connected with Alex Gannam, 
at um, Upright. Upright Brewing. Um, I think since we were developing the recipes. So if I remember right, he was the one who submitted the base recipe that eventually became Black Habit. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and they do the bottle conditioning there, which we want to do. Right. Um, so we moved there and he did a, a number of batches for us. I, I was there um, helping with some of them. Uh, and then the bottle conditioning um, just came out right, you know, using our bottle and the beer then was everything we wanted it to be. Uh, and um, that was good, except that Portland is a, a bit distant from us here. <laughs> yeah. So having to truck beer from Portland down to Mount Angel was not all that fun. Uh, so yeah, we have a, a good friend in Silverton, Josiah Kelly. His parents have actually, they used to teach, both of them, in the seminary here at ah. the Abbey. So there's an association with their family going back some time. And he is the owner of Seven Brides, so we contracted with him to start brewing uh, our beers. And um, that was very convenient at times like Oktoberfest when you have to haul 20 kegs uh, to the tent there. To just have it four miles away in Silverton right. with no traffic between the, the, um, <laughs> where you're going and where you're coming um, was so convenient. Uh, that just worked really well. And their water supply is closer. In, you know, their profile, water profile is closer to what ours is. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to take one step back and you were talking about coming up, developing a style. Of course, you need to be a commercially successful brewery in a very saturated Oregon marketplace. So how much did you think about distinguishing yourself from, from the typical beers you see in Oregon? In other words, you decided not to go for the big hoppy IPA. Is that mm -hmm. is part of that just because that's a very saturated market? Well, with the Belgian styles, I actually have tried to make an IPA with this yeast. The yeast just has too much flavor that does not work well with the hops. That's what I discovered. Yeah. We did come up with one recipe that had some promise. It wasn't exceptionally hoppy, but uh, it makes a good Cascadian dark. And mm -hmm. I've got the first commercial batch of that in the fermenter right now. You can sample that in a little bit if you want. Cool. Uh, but when you take out the dark malts and try to make an IPA out of it, it just doesn't it doesn't click really uh -huh. so that's probably the biggest reason we haven't tried that there are people who come in asking for an IPA the IPA <laughs> of course <laughs> and I could give you a poor IPA but would you be happy with that <laughs> right so yeah yeah uh, you also use some of your you know you have hops which you use in your beer right mm -hmm. and then um, there are some grains that are grown on some property that you own is that right that is that and is that also used in your beer? Am I right about that, or am I mistaking that? Uh, we did toy with growing some triticale, I think, at, yeah, at one point, and maybe a little bit of barley, but uh, I think that the field, it's just a couple acres uh, next to the hop fields that don't get used every year, and um, it used to be the Abbey's garden, mm -hmm. and I think Father William is gardening it again. <laughs> um, <laughs> But it was, uh, there was a cover crop put in it to help, you know, the soil reconstitute that soil. But I don't think we ever did get a crop off of it for brewing. Okay. Um, this building, we'll, we'll 
go uh, walk into the brewery here in a moment, but talk a little bit about this building. There are a couple of cool features. For one, for one, um, some of the wood here is is Abbey wood. Uh, this building was purpose built for the brewery. We're sitting in the tap room right now. Um, uh, so talk a little bit about the, the you know the uh, design of this building and and I'm the I was fortunate enough to be at the brewery raising that was cool the community event but just talk mm-hmm. a little bit about the development of this building and then we'll go in and, and look at your brewery okay well uh, Jeff you remember when we first started looking at a brewery we just wanted to locate it in an existing building right I do yeah he's got buildings <laughs> but when your buildings go back to like the 1904 fort the big stone building it's a cool looking building but it's not seismically sound, or the 1921 Dairy Barn. Great building, uh, lots of appeal, nice ambiance in it even, <laughs> but not up to Drink fire out. or seismic code. Yeah. So when, when you're looking at a million dollars to retrofit these buildings, um, the community, well, at least the senior council, the Abbots Council, was not in favor of that. So we, we did hit a critical juncture in the project. Either we pull the plug on it or we have to build a building. And we decided to build the building. Mm-hmm. So then we had to design it. And uh, we have, the Abbey's got a good friend, an architect, um, who does a lot of pro bono work for us, has done over the years. He was involved in that. And New Energy Works uh, with their headquarters in McMinnville, uh, worked on the project. I think they did the basic design for the building. Mm-hmm. And we f- came up with the, the barn shape of the building uh, because it's next to the old dairy barn. Yeah. And we wanted to keep that kind of rustic feel to it. And, and then we had to select the construction type. Either it's going to be a stick frame wood building or a metal building or a timber frame building. And, you know, the metal is the cheapest and, and fastest. Uh, stick frame wood is uh, in the middle. Timber frame is the more expensive, but by far the nicest and most durable. Yeah. And monks always think, uh, you know, uh, the Benedictine Order's been around for 15 centuries now. <laughs> yeah. We think long term, so durability is important to us. Right. And also the ambiance, the, the, the values of the monks, we, uh, the solidity of it, the warmth of it, the wood, uh, the nature in it speaks to us. And uh, that, that durability. And we decided to, uh, we had a harvest going on in our tree farm. That's something else that our founding monks started was... Uh, um, actually, it was a dairy barn in, or dairy farm in their day, but um, eventually became a tree farm. Seventy years ago, monks planted Douglas fir up there, and we harvested a couple truckloads of them, and they were milled for this project. So the timbers oh, that amazing. make this building, the tongue and groove that are on the ceiling, uh-huh. the siding on the outside, that's all from our tree farm. You know, the wood and, and the benches, um, it's all from our farm. So we, we had that put together, and the taproom design, we, we had some friends uh, with the, the right skills and talents come together to help us design the taproom. 
we wanted it to be a Benedictine experience when you come here. Now, it's not a church, it's not a chapel, it's not a seminary or school or anything. You don't come here and, you know, like you have to recite the creed to get in the door or something. <laughs> We're not hitting people over the head with Bibles. We don't, that's not us. Right. We want people to come here, but we, we know with our spiritual life, we've got something to offer the world. Mm-hmm. And we want the tap room to express ourselves. So you come here and you've got that, that wood, you've got the, the warmth of that and the solidity of it. But we've got a bare concrete floor and we've got a bare ductwork. So it's got a bit of an industrial kind of rustic simplicity to it. The walls are white and not too much artwork in here. It's got an austerity to it, a rusticity, a simplicity that we just call um, monastic rusticity. Right. <laughs> so we've got an icon of St. Michael on the wall. Uh, Michael, St. Michael is one of the archangels and the archangels are the principal patron of should be no surprise mount angel abbey sure it always disturbed me that we don't have a building a statue a room anything dedicated to any of the angels on the hilltop so saint michael became kind of my my secret agenda let's let's put the the tap room under his patronage and the abbot agreed with it i'm very happy with about that so uh, we do have uh, one of our patrons over the, over the tap room. And of course, we have a little statue of St. Benedict in here. Uh, people observe these things, and they come inspect them, and they ask questions about them. There's a real curiosity about it. So yeah. uh, people, uh, there's no TV in here. There's no stereo. It's not a sports bar. Okay. Uh, <laughs> some people told us, oh, you need a TV to attract people. You know, well, let's see. And people come in here, and I ask them, you know, what, do you, you know, what do you think of the silence in here? When the room's packed, it's not silent. Right. Sure. You hear people talking. But this is what we want people to do. Come in and be together. Monks don't have stereos going. We don't have televisions going. We get together, and we just be together. And that's what people can do when they come here with their friends. They just sit in here, and they talk. They play games. They sit out on the patio and they look over the hops fields, they watch the sunset out there, and they just like being together. I ask people, do you think we should have a stereo? They just shake their heads, oh no, no, why would you wreck this? Yeah. So the environment, um, it was a very important part of the building. Uh, the brewery too, um, of course it has to perform its function and it's just designed as a workspace for a brewery with the big conditioning room because of the bottle conditioning that we do. Right. So you obviously do a lot in the brewery. Do other monks work here, or do you employ outsiders to come in and staff? Our our authenticity in brewing really hinges on the monks doing the brewing. Mm -hmm. So there are still a number of monasteries brewing in the world. Most of them own or supervise their right. operation, but they don't really have monks working in there. That's right. And uh, um, even the other monasteries, the other two brewing in North America, I don't believe the monks are heavily involved hmm. in the hands-on work of brewing. Right. And what sets us apart, we don't want to be monks just owning another brewery. We want to be monks really brewing the beer and offering that to people. So, yeah, I am the, the lead brewer. Father Jacob 
was um, he spent um, a, a few years on assignment in Alaska doing pastoral work when he was coming back that well here's a monk who's going to need a job so I asked if he was interested <laughs> in brewing he interned for a year uh, learning and um, gave it a good shot but really in the end decided he didn't have uh, his heart wasn't in it yeah. didn't really have the aptitude <clears throat> for it so he's transitioning out and brother Jesse one of our junior monks is transitioning in mm-hmm. and uh, he's got a mechanics background auto mechanics background so this is the kind of thing this is a guy's job yeah. it's like <laughs> hand tools and car tools are guy jobs that this is something that he might be interested in and he does show uh, some good aptitude for it. He's just getting started. He's only been, he's been working with me for less than a month. But okay. it, it's it's been good. I just ask him to do something, and he does it. He just seems to have the nature, uh, you know, the awareness of it. So. And are you still having a fair amount of beer contract brewed, or is it all now brewed here? We produce time? everything in house now okay. that we can. We will see what happens <laughs> when Oktoberfest comes around <laughs> yeah. and what our brew schedule looks like, yeah. if yeah. we can manage that, because we have a five-barrel system. Okay. And Oktoberfest has been going through about 20 kegs from us uh, of our beer the last each of the last five or six years. That's not enough. They run out on Saturday. And, you know, They've still got plenty of time to serve their beer. So I think they should get at least three dozen kegs this year. Yeah. And that means that would be three batches for me to brew. Yeah. Um, so we'll see if we can do that. Otherwise, uh, you know, unfortunately, Seven Brides has shut down. Yeah. And uh, that means I've had to have had to buy my own Zamenagel because I used to borrow theirs. And, <laughs> uh, and uh, Cointas Brewery now in Oregon City uh, brewed a batch for us, uh, our, our Hellas Lager. Um, because the lagering just ties up our tie up our equipment too long, yeah. so I need to, to get another tank before I can consider yeah. doing the lagering here. Um, so um, you know, they're they're friends. Uh, Dave Fleming works for them or works with them, and has been our consultant helping us to set up here. So a great connection. So yeah, we're still open to that. The, the, the contract brewing with others sure. as we have to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, you know, our tap room, um, we talked about the production side. Uh, we do want monks working uh, in the brewing. We, we just prefer to do the brewing exclusively on our own. The tap room is another thing. The tap room's open in afternoons and evening when, when the monks aren't available because right, yeah. of our own community life. Right. So that is staffed by by employees mm-hmm. but monks come here particularly on weekends uh, when it gets busy we, we need somebody to help and uh, some of the monks really enjoy coming in and mingling with people and uh, and serving here or cooking food and having that served monks have different talents and they <laughs> like to pitch in yeah well and that goes back to that original thing that you talked about bringing people together and bringing the community up here and and, and that is bringing the monks down to the community too so that mm-hmm. seems to work comes together nicely yeah it's uh, the brewery has another function you know so yeah we wanted to raise money to support us and to earn money to support us and we want to want it to bring people here to meet us but we also wanted to bring people to mount angel to help support the other local businesses this is a, a, a good community and uh, the more traffic that comes through here the, the more we all benefit 
And there's also, um, the brewery adds something to the monastery we haven't had for probably a long time, a place to to interface with the public right? Uh, and sort of just informally. Right. You can come take classes if you want, and you can get taught a course <laughs> by a monk. Well, that's nice, but it's not very social, <laughs> and you don't get to rub elbows with anybody right. that way. But if you come down to the tap room, you might actually meet a monk yeah. and just have a casual conversation, and and you find out that we're not really that weird of people after all. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's Oregon. We kind of hope you're a little weird. Yeah, well, <laughs> we're different, but so is everybody. Yeah. Uh, should we, yeah, why don't we um, wrap up at this location and we'll step next door and have you walk us through the brewery. Okay. All right. Uh, back soon. All right. Now we're in the brew house proper, uh, which is adjacent to the tap room. Um, and in fact, if you come and visit, you can peek through the window and see what it looks like. Uh, why don't you tell us just a little bit about the, the equipment itself and, um, uh, you know, who, who made it and how you, just the background of the brewery. Okay. Well, the equipment was made by Metalcraft in Portland. They started up producing brewing equipment a few years ago, and unfortunately they have shut down operation. But um, I've been using this equipment now for about three months, and I'm very happy with it. They did, did a good job with it. And it's a five-barrel system. We've got three fermenters. We can have uh, ostensibly three batches going at once, but really more like two and a half because you have to have one of those available for packaging. So if it's in its final stage, you can fill up the other two. Otherwise, you have to keep one open uh, for, for transferring. But uh, we've got a, a combined uh, hot liquor tank mash tun. Uh, very convenient, it, it helps to keep the mash temperature uh, very constant uh, when on brew day. And uh, it's next to the boil kettle. And it's got transfer pumps mounted in between, all the hard piping going between them. So very contemporary design for the brew house itself. And we have a bottling machine uh, that, uh, it's a forehead. Um, it's I consider it semi-automated because yeah, it does the CO2 purges and the capping and stuff, but still somebody, a human being, has to put those bottles in and take them out four at a time. Um, so we get through the packaging of five barrels of beer in about three hours running that system. No, that's not bad. Yeah. So this equipment, now I'm, I understand that you have a fairly sophisticated homebrew setup, but mm -hmm. Even still, stepping up to this, you don't have a brewing degree or a brewing background. Was your first batch a little uh, scary? It was like, how was that, uh, you know, how, going to this, it seems like a little, uh, a big step up. Yeah, well, uh, yes, I did have, I did put together a nice 10-gallon uh, brewing system. It's, it's right in front of us here, and I still mean to use that for recipe development. But I designed that system on a commercial process, you know, having having brewed with Coalition and Upright and Seven Brides, just seeing how they do things. I put together a stainless steel system with, with the pumps that would do the transfers and a counterflow wort chiller and conical fermenters, even one that's temperature controlled. So I've made dozens of batches on that system and I could do it in my sleep okay. now. Uh, so that was designed to be the same process, but yeah, now we're on a larger scale. We have different pumps, we have different equipment, and you have to, you have to think differently 
as, as you do it. Fortunately, from the small system, I knew what to do. What I needed training on was how to do it now, the technique with the different, different tools I've got to work with. And that's where Dave Fleming was wonderful to work with. And um, he, we brewed a couple times together. Uh, he brewed a couple times with Father Jacob. And I think he was involved, uh, either him or one of his associates, in our first six batches. And after that, I said, I'm ready. Uh, I did uh, probably two batches with him, and I was involved in a couple of the other first ones. But I took my notes, and I thought, you know, I'm not going to benefit from working with someone for another brew. I need to do this myself and, and knock my head on whatever it is I don't know and, and break through it. So I did that, and it's worked. And you have some kind of background. You, you have a technical background. Uh, so is that, am I right? Before you became a monk, you were like a, some kind of engineer or technical? Yeah, person. I was a software engineer. So okay. I had my degree in computer science. And you know, engineering is a discipline. It teaches you processes and how to follow a process, how to do things right, how to pay attention to detail. And that has served me well in a number of things uh, I've done in my work life. Uh, in the monastery and very well now too in the brewing world it's all about process and, and attention to detail and doing things right that's one of the things i think that characterizes monastic brewing is um not that they have a broad range when you go to monastic breweries they make a particular kind of beer you know two or three different types and they've been making them for decades and mm -hmm. they slowly 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 become more and more and more perfected until you know, it's not, it's not the beer style itself. It's kind of the execution and the dis the, that discipline that you're talking about. Mm -hmm. So um, it seems like you're, you're, in, you're in a good position to continue that work here for the next few decades, I guess. Well, I hope so. Uh, and it won't be just me doing this, but uh, you know, the beer varieties, like, like I said earlier, we started off intending to develop a pale and a dark, which fits very well with that monastic tradition. You do a small number of things very well, and the next generation of monks will figure out how to do it better and faster, and then eventually just get something really good out of that. But here we also, given our location, Pacific Northwest, variety is important. And we are just starting out, and we don't know what, how people are going to respond to what beers. So what they gravitate to will emerge over time, and then how to tweak those bit by bit and, and make them flourish. Uh, that will play out over time, I think. And it won't be just me, but it'll be, you know, I'm 55 already. I'm, I'm not going to be doing this the next 40 years. <laughs> we better get a successor uh, ready. Uh, but whoever those successors are, they will have their own insights. There will be new varieties of hops and things coming out. Uh, new barley varieties, they will use these things to uh, to perfect whatever it is they inherit. Well, I know Patrick and I are going to enjoy um, tasting these beers over the coming decades and seeing how, they, how it all evolves. you have anything more, Patrick? I just wanted to ask, you have a big job at the Abbey already, so adding this to your plate, how do you manage your time? Well, I was, uh, I've been the procurator for 10 years and one month and <laughs> I, uh, I can remember the date November 18th um, but 
Um, this year, well, at the beginning of the year, so January 2nd was when he started, we hired a director of operations, uh, someone to, uh, the vision was, I think, to help me do the day-to-day -day operating work uh, of the Abbey. So he took over uh, supervising the service departments and particularly fa facilities, some of the building projects and things, and that really freed me up to put more attention to the brewery. And that's been positive, you know, um, 10 years is a long time to be doing a job like that. And I'm happy to let him do everything <laughs> uh, now, uh, everything he wants to. So my responsibilities there have really diminished and um, the opportunity here has opened up. And you know, as monks, uh, we look for God at work in the world and how God's working in things. And I think I see God at work bringing our director of operations on board and with the response we've had with the public coming to this brewery, the response to our beers, the response to the tap room, the response to meeting monks, uh, I just see God's hand at work in that. Uh, and so I think we're just doing what he wants us to do. And if that's the case, then everything will bear good fruit. Well, we wish you the best and thank you very much for having us. Yeah, I don't think we can add anything more to that. So. Okay. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll all be watching, and we hope that uh, folks who hear this come and check you out. Okay. Right. Thank well, you. Thank you guys for coming. So we'd like to thank Father Martin for hosting us at the Mount Angel Abbey and at the Benedictine Brewery there. Um, that was really a fascinating trip, by the way. I had never been to the, to the Abbey itself um, and uh, enjoyed visiting, enjoyed Father Martin tremendously, and was really fascinated about his take on the whole project. Yeah, it is cool. Um, after we left Father Martin in the brewery, we walked up to the or drove up to the brewer, uh, to the monastery, which is up on the mountain, um, mm -hmm. just outside of town. Which is classic if you're ever in any town where there's Catholics, look up, and that's where they put the monastery. <laughs> yeah, it's really cool because it's right. It rings the whole mountaintop, um, and it's quite pretty around there. Beautiful Oregon farmland all around. Little Mount Angel down below. Yeah, definitely um, worth stopping by if you're in Oregon. Um, Put it on your to-do list. Yeah, and we're uh, upping our game this time. We're going to, on the Beer Vannablog Facebook page, we'll have some uh, 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 pictorial delights, um, <laughs> some pictures of the, of the town, of the abbey, and hopefully the exterior of the brewery um, as well. Uh, so you can get a sense of the scene um, there while we were there. Yeah. Uh, and uh, also we'll have a picture of the brewery itself, <clears throat> inside of the brewery itself. All right, uh, so now it's time for the mailbag. We didn't actually, uh, we were going to bring some beer back, but um, they're just about to do a bottling run, and they didn't have any bottles uh, on offer at the gift shop, um, which is where you can go and pick some up. Um, uh, otherwise, you got to find it uh, being served either at the tap room there, which is, uh, if I remember correctly, open, I think, Wednesday through Saturday or something. Um, but it's a beautiful location where you can look out over the hop fields and drink beer, yeah. <clears throat> as he mentioned, without uh, interruption by uh, sports televisions and <laughs> loud music. Uh, so uh, uh, we won't uh, be tasting the beer today, but um, uh, you should go search it out. Absolutely. All right. So mailbag. Uh, do you want me to start? Sure. All right. So Dale Sherman, who hails from the state of Washington, uh, says the following. First, I listened to you traveling, especially over I-90 between Seattle and Ellensburg, 
both you and Patrick have a tendency to soften or lower your voices at times. And when you do, I can't hear what you're saying unless I crank them. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> Dale's going to really love you for yeah. that. Uh, and when you do, I can't hear what you're saying unless I crank up the volume considerably. Yeah, we know we have volume problems. Um, of course, when you start the next sentence, I'm blasted out of my seat. <laughs> uh, this is also, by the way, this is not something that I've heard in my lectures as well. Um, I tend to do the same thing in, in, when I'm in the lecture. Uh, uh, when I'm lecturing. So my apologies, I'll, I'll try to be more conscientious. Uh, second, this is really nitpicking, I admit, but both you and Patrick both uh, have a tendency to make a uh, smacking noise at the beginning of some sentences. <laughs> uh, to me, it's annoying and distracts from what you were saying. Uh, okay, so that's, that's a good note as well. Um, in my own defense, I'll say that I've had a number of, there's a reason I went to the dentist this morning, I've had a number of problems with my mouth, so that might increase the smackingness lately, but it's almost all resolved, so hopefully soon. We do have... I'll have, new, I'll have some new chompers. <laughs> that's, that is good, and then we'll, have, then we'll have no excuse. Yeah, so and, we'll get, get back and, to... And so your new back. chompers won't help me stop smacking, so I'll have to be on the watch out. So the, uh, the volume is an issue. I hope we've... We've uh, solved the main problem, which was it used to be so quiet that you just couldn't hear it even if you cranked it up entirely. Uh, I hope that's better. I've worked hard uh, at trying to accomplish that. Um, we are pretty low rent. Uh, we still need a sponsor so we can have a whole studio and producer and um, you know private cars to drive us to and fro. And, uh, we can I get one. a masseuse in that? Let's, uh, let's, if we're going yeah, yeah, we better, let's go. Yeah, we better have one of those. Uh, we were talking about a drone so we can take nice drone footage next time we go to a brewery. <laughs> That's actually pretty cool. Yeah. I, I, we should consider that. The podcast drone. Um, so uh, uh, we'll, we'll keep working at it. We're, we're not professionals. No, we do. We Does do. Uh, we are somewhat aware of this. And at the top of the script, it says, speak evenly and clearly. And then uh, we see that. Maybe we should sprinkle that throughout the script. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think uh, 15 minutes in, neither of us remember what was written at the top of the script barely remember who each other are so. yeah <laughs> um but we will try and and do our best uh, but thank, do by the way i don't we don't mind those comments at all it's always good to be reminded of those things because uh without it you'd never know um and <laughs> i just did it again as i smack my lips uh and we will try to be uh more aware of it yeah. uh it's also good to just know about general audio issues in general so i can try and do better if it's still poor all right while we're on uh constructive criticism let's go to scott bohanna martin um hello scott and i don't know where scott's from the internet he says uh he, he started out by saying nice things and but then he transitioned to his <laughs> oh so you you picked out the bad stuff good yeah i did uh he transitions to the main point which is um and i i'll read it here but i have to say i already hate listening to people drink beer on a podcast Beer reviews just fill airtime, but offer little to the listener. In particular, when listening to your show and you drink between interesting bits of information, the sound of you slurping down the fizzy stuff mm. is probably wonderful on your end, yeah. but audibly sounds like a dog lapping up a <laughs> bowl of water. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome, Scott. Uh, yeah. Um, maybe you could try the beer beforehand or apply some simple editing. Oh, are you crazy? Simple editing. Editing? What is he talking about? <laughs> it's like, I think I know something about that word. We'll have to look it up later. So our beer audio porn that we're so proud of, the, the opening of the bottle and hearing the fizz is just apparently not working for everybody. Yeah. Uh, I'm really enjoying the Monastic Beers episode, but this is the third time I've had to put it down for a break. So uh, 
We, yeah, so this is interesting because when we started the podcast, that was the first thing we said, which is we didn't want a podcast where we're sitting around drinking beer. Right. Uh, because we, is, we agree that's really terrible. It's innately boring. Audio. Um, what we have tried to do, and so you can be the judge um, and judge us on this, is that we've tried to bring in beers that fit the topic um, of the podcast. So if we're talking about oh, I don't know, farmhouse ales or something. We try to get some good examples of farmhouse ales. And what we try to do, at least uh, that's um, my hope, is to say things about what we're tasting in the beer that relate to what we've said about the style and the history and so on and so forth. Um, so that's that's our goal. Whether we're successful in that, it would be interesting to hear some more feedback. Yeah, so definitely consider this an invitation for others to weigh in on this. Um, I think we will probably continue to taste beers, but uh, we'll definitely listen to what Scott said and um, put a tighter leash on the, that. And if everybody hates us doing that, please let us know. We can be talked out of it. But, yeah, and it's um, also something where if um, if it's not not enjoyable, we can just do a single beer, for example, of the style rather yeah. than two or three um yeah it's something it's the it's the payoff to the pod for us so. <laughs> but we can always do it afterward <laughs> that's right um we we have been begging people for um thoughts and comments and criticisms and these are the first uh well they're not the first criticisms but the first criticisms in a while and we thank you both scott and dale for uh, letting us know we will take your advice and try to improve things always looking to improve things yeah i know how it goes by the way because there are a few podcasts that have a little interludes and things that i just don't really like and so i have my little 15 second forward button ready right. to go in my car and i just blop 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 blop, blop. <laughs> two minutes later it's okay now we're back that's also true of all the little um ads that you get on some podcasts that you don't get on our commercial free podcast allow me to say here we're looking for a sponsor yeah. if, you, <laughs> if you'd like to uh uh be on our commercial free uh podcast we'd love to have commercials yeah. so in let fact us know. we could substitute the beer drinking with the commercial so yeah that's right uh, all right and you know patrick mentioned if someone wanted to buy us a drone we could put like the logo of the brewery on the drone it could be like the bud drone the bud if drone if you're budweiser or the whatever it is yeah we could like the Stone Drone. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> reach out to Stone Brewing for the Stone Drone. The Stone Drone. We need the Stone Drone, man. <laughs> Fire us up. All right. Uh, well, thanks. That, that uh, concludes the podcast for today. I hope that uh, uh, this podcast, and if you haven't uh, listened to the, the preamble, the podcast before this, uh, please do, about monastic beers in general. Um, I hope uh, it's been enjoyable. Uh, it's been uh, really fun to bring it to you and to visit uh, at the brewery with Father Martin. So thanks very much for listening to the podcast. I smacked my lips again. Uh, first, we'd like to encourage you to rate us and subscribe us on iTunes, recommend us to friends uh, and all that good stuff, which helps other listeners find us. Uh, a few more words about uh, how to contact us. If you'd like to send us some feedback like uh, Scott and uh, Dale did today, please um, give Jeff uh, an email at jeff at beerblatnablog. <laughs> dot com. Boy, I'm just having a good day today. Jeff at beervanablog.com or visit the Beervana Blog Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you. So please send us your questions and comments. Uh, Jeff, of course, also blogs at the Beervana Blog uh, and tweets at Beervana. And Patrick tweets at Beeronomics. I do. And we have nothing to cheers with, so we'll just have to say uh, happy holidays to you, Jeff. And to you, Patrick, and happy Kwanzaa, and happy Solstice, and happy Festivus, and all those things to 
Yes, I hope the airing of the grievances goes well this year. All <laughs> yeah, right. we've had a few airing of the grievances here today. Yeah, so. <laughs> there we go. It's like our whole festivist pod. That's exactly right. All right. Uh, bye, Jeff. All right. See you, Matthew.